Hey there. Welcome into another discussion here at Ocean Waves. I'm Andrew Cox, Senior Retail Analyst here at Freight Waves. And the man I'm about to speak with, I actually have spoken with before, back a couple months ago when he was heading the global, global international um, ocean expansion at Wayfair. He is now at Perch, which is a company I'm sure many of you haven't heard of, but you will be hearing much more of very soon. His name's John Esborn. He is the Director of International Transportation at Perch. John, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be fun because I think we're going to shed a whole new light on a, an area of retail that I don't think many in our audience have heard of yet. So let's just start kind of broadly. What is Perch? So Perch, uh, one of the names that's being tossed around about uh, the space that Perch is in is, um, uh, is an Amazon aggregator. So there's this, this little market that's developed uh, maybe it's not a small market. Uh, there's a market that's developed of uh, people that sell on Amazon their products uh, and maybe grow them to a certain size. And and um, there's companies out there such as Perch that have significant VC backing and buy these entities. And and you know, Perch is out there buying multiple uh, uh, Amazon sellers and building a company and. Uh, in the case of some of these um, sellers, if you think about them, I mean, they kind of view themselves as entrepreneurs themselves, even though this purchase space is kind of entrepreneurial. They view themselves as, 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 as uh, product entrepreneurs themselves. And so they grow it to a certain point. Maybe it gets boring, whatever their motivation is. Maybe they want to cash in, right, um, if, if they feel they can. And and there's companies out there now like Perch that are willing to buy them buy them up and, and build a bigger company. So, um Perch is not yet two years old, but you, if you Google Perch, comment Amazon aggregator, you get all sorts of uh, stuff about the space and what's going on in the space. Yeah, John, this is no doubt uh, not a small market at all. I think I've, I've seen that there's more than $4 billion from VC backing that's funded into these. Um, you know, there's maybe about a dozen of these companies over the last year and a half, two years. As you said, Perch is a really young company, only been around for about two years. Let's, let's talk about what attracted you. What brought you to Perch? Um, just the energy, you know, startup energy, um, doing something different. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm doing kind of the same thing within parts that I've done elsewhere in my career, but doing it for a different company. Uh, a lot of folks that I've kind of worked with in the past. There's quite a few folks um, uh, from Wayfair here, um, you know, great company in its own right. And but uh, it's a startup. It's fun. It's, it's energized. I'm, I'm a, you know. I might be older. I think I put some wise guy comment on my LinkedIn. If you looked it up about, you know, I'm a startup guy, you know, it's like, let's go, let's go have some fun, um, be disruptive. So it's really, that's what it's, what it's all about is, is uh, doing, uh, doing something same, but different. Yeah. Can't, can't disagree with the energy at startup land. Here I am at Freight Waves, loving it. So let's, uh, let's move on a little bit to what do, you, what do you think Perch's core competencies are right now? Like what is the team really good at? And, you know, they're obviously bringing you in here to try to expand this, this uh, international uh, supply chain. Just what do you think the core competencies are right well, now? Well, yeah, sure. The energy right now is very much on, on, on M&A, right? I mean, you know, acquiring and, uh, and then, and then, you know, consuming or, or wrapping the, the in and, um, I think that anyone that kind of thinks of who the entities are that are being bought, which many of them are small, um, you know, little company, not a lot of rules, not a lot of lines, kind of maybe the owner or two or three people really run it. Um, not a lot of awareness of, of, of 
compliance, trade compliance, things of this nature, that as you make your, as, as you acquire it, and now all of a sudden you're a bigger company, now you're, you're more a target, you know, you're more visible in the marketplace. And so, um, you know, we've got a really strong uh, trade compliance uh, leader, uh, woman from the market here in New England uh, that many people would know, Kristen Morneau. She's, you know, keeping us like in, inside the lines, making sure our products are, are uh, um, compliant. Um, but within that, then it's just, I mean, anything, really any kind of emerger acquisition type of challenges um, and, and then creating visibility. So if, if there's a big challenge, it's just having visibility to what we have, what's moving, what inventory levels are. Um, we have 40 warehouses around the United States. We're not a very, you know, big company to have 40 warehouses. What's in those warehouses, you know, things like that. Those are some of the challenges. Sam, I'm glad you brought up how many warehouses you all have, because this is something, I guess it's a misconception I think the public has of these Amazon aggregators. They look at them as the, I um, can't remember the name of the beer brand that owns Pabst Blue Ribbon, but they own a couple other beer brands, but they don't do any of the bottling, any of the beer creation. They're just really a marketing company. And that's how a lot of people have looked at these aggregators. But but tell me why I'm wrong. I mean, here you are building out the international supply chain. Is that the goal to, to try to take on more of the supply chain? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, uh, not, you know, taking on the supply chain, selling through other channels. So if you're going to sell through other channels, you've got to have your own infrastructure, right? Um, whether that be, um, you know, warehouses, whether that be, uh, you know, international transportation, buying contracts, I mean, uh, you know, or moving goods to the final mile, you know, you've got to have a network to be able to support that, um, you know, theoretically. And then many of the folks that we bought, they're not just selling through, solely through the Amazon channel. So, you know, the Amazon programs, which are, which are, you know, fantastic in terms of being able to get the product to the customer's door aren't applicable in some, in some manners, you know, to, to what we're doing. And, um, you know, then you've got, do you need a bonded warehouse? Do you want it to be an FTZ? And the kind of the fun stuff, quite frankly, that you get into, you know, in the UK, it's called the customs warehouse. And, and, I'm aware of a, uh, one of the large e-commerce companies in, in the UK is ASOS, and they ship goods out of the, out of a customs warehouse. So goods have never cleared into customs. They can ship it anywhere in the world because they never cleared into customs, into free circulation in, in the UK. I don't mean to get too far off track, but these are the kinds of things that, you know, are, are in our future that, quite frankly, you know, it's the fun stuff, you know, kind of sorting it out and see what, what works, right? Yeah, no, this, John, if you're if you're here to talk the nitty gritty of the supply chain, this is the place to do it, right? Uh, we can get as, as detailed as you want. Let's let's talk about some of the challenges right now, the unique challenges to Perch, because when you were at Wayfair, you, um, you know, you had ocean carriers coming to you. They wanted your freight because they knew that in two, three years, Wayfair is going to be a much bigger company and they, they might have a bigger piece of the pie there. But but now you're starting over really from scratch in the worst time to buy ocean capacity. So just tell me about that. So, you know, we all have our network and I think a network is, is, uh, um, it, as much as the, the world is becoming more and more tech related uh, and, and in the international supply chain space, it's still a, it's still a personal business and you, you got to know, you know, people and you got to have a network and uh, literally reached out to my network of people. Some were carriers we were under contract with and others were carriers we weren't under contract with at, at Wayfair. Um, you know, specifically carriers and not freight forwarders, um, because we're going to have the volume that we want to get capacity straight from the carriers. And um, so uh, one of the carriers that I know very well basically said, 
yeah, we, we're not going to have any space for you now. They just don't even think you're going to be able to get, you know, a container on a vessel uh, and buy, buy something from us. And I, I was a little taken aback by that um, comment. But you know what? At the end of the day, there's enough of them that um, uh, are interested that we'll be, we'll be fine. We'll be able to contract with the guys that truly want to grab the tiger by its tail and, you know, go along for the ride. And, um, uh, and, and those are probably more creative thinking carriers anyway. And so quite frankly, the ones we would want to do uh, business with, but it's still, you know, it's easier said than done. And we're going to have to, have to think differently in order to be able to get uh, space right now in the, in the current environment. Uh, most definitely. I mean, you know, Perch is not unlike Wayfair in that sense that it's going to grow a lot over the next couple of years. You guys are going to be shipping a lot more freight in two years than you are now. I did have a question about, um, I guess, you know, since you guys are aggregating all these different brands and maybe there may be different manufacturing places in China or, or abroad, I'm trying to think of like aggregating that onto one ship and, you know, bringing that over. How does that, is that kind of a difficult challenge? Um, yeah. So heavily at the moment, it's uh, goods coming out of China. Um, and to, to North America and Europe. Um, although there is other trade lanes, there are other trade lanes, North, North, South trade lanes, South America, you know, to, to, to Europe and the U S as well. Um, which is refreshing to kind of be able to dabble in a new trade lane, quite frankly. Um, and, uh, and not a lot of Southeast Asia, which is interesting because, um, uh, I think we, everybody in the industry saw when the tariffs were put in, in 2018, uh, uh, quite frankly, a holistic shift of manufacturing away from China to places like Vietnam, Malaysia, et cetera, right? And so, um, but a lot of these Amazon sellers are, are Chinese companies. And so um, the goods are still coming from China. And then, so, um, you know, from that standpoint, it, you know, it's interesting, there are different products, you know, uh, where I came from, there were a lot of big items, couches, sofas, bureaus, beds, you know, in small items, but this is a lot of small stuff. So, so your question's not, not that far off point because, um, you know, small items where you're really going to ship a container load, you know, you're probably not, you know, because if there's not a high turnover rate for that item, you don't want to bring in a container of widgets, small boxes of things that are going to sit on a shelf for a whole year. Ideally, you'd like to bring in a smaller quantity if you can. So, absolutely looking into consolidation programs, buyers consoles, things like that out of our big origins. And we've already done some, they've already done some before um, I, I came uh, over. Um, we've got a great uh, uh, freight forwarding broker partner, uh, Mohawk Global Logistics out of uh, Syracuse, New York, very uh, mid-sized, but very, very um, cutting edge, very creative from a tech standpoint, um, you know, real, real, strong trade compliance aspects. Um, and uh, they've already done some some of those consolidation type uh, uh, opportunities for us where we just you know, couldn't move a full container line. John, I know you've only been at Perch for, for a month or so, but has there been anything, and you've been in this industry for a long time. So uh, has there been anything in this first month that you haven't seen before? Is there anything that surprised you? I don't know if there's anything that surprised me. It's more the challenges, right? So um, I'm not surprised that when you buy up a, bu a bunch of different entities and you try to bring them together, you don't have a great visibility. But if I'm going to go to try to sign something with an ocean carrier, first question out of their mouth is how much and what trade lanes? Rightly so. I, I mean, I know that, that that's going to be what their concern is. Um, and 
So I don't, you know, that's, that's the first thing I'm trying to get my hands around. And then the other thing is just the rapid scale. I, I mean, to your point, I mean, we might move 150 containers this August and maybe by next August we move 1,500. I think potentially the scale is even greater or faster than, than what it was where, where I came from. Um, and how do you put that into your contracts with carriers? Because they, they just want to do a fixed number divided by 52. Here's your MQC divided by 52. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm, I'm only at 80% of that right now, but gee, by this time next year, I'll be at 300% of that. Can we, can we do it differently? And that's, that's where the, the, the hard work gets put in. John, last time we spoke, you and your team were trying to secure capacity for the next you know, few months or into the next year. How did that go? And you know, how, what were you able to secure? But no, thank you. Great question, right? How do you get space um, and make you a priority to the carriers in this environment? I always like to think that way. I want to be a priority to them. Um, and uh, so from that standpoint, you know, I, I, we, we took and considered a few things. One was we went to market early. And we had a relationship with a few of our carrier partners that they actually uh, were last year. I bought early in November, December, when everybody kind of thought things were going to be a normal year. And they bought in March and April and there was no space for them anymore because other people like us, you know, Esborn had bought space. Right. And and so, OK, figuring people are going to try to go in, in November, December this year. We, th- we said, look, let's go to market now and buy now. Um, and let's not only buy now, let's make it a multi-year deal. And, and so, you know, you have to think differently. You have to be creative in this environment. I mean, um, is, is there, uh, space to be had out there? Um, I, I don't know that there is, but all I know is, you know, we, we, we've done some deals. I had done some deals that, uh, protected our space, if you will, had a growth aspect to it as we, continued to scale. So, and, and, and it was a multi-year and we had to throw some other things into the mix that maybe aren't traditional such as door moves, which, you know, had kind of passed, uh, the, the passed away in the United States. I mean, people weren't doing door moves and some of the carriers would come back and said, you know what, I want more of the end to end business because I'm only going to make so much off the container. I'm only going to have so many container ships. How do I increase my, my performance, you know, my financial results and so we're like, hey, we're willing to sign on for that. I mean, as long as you do a good job and the quality work, um, then, you know, let's do it, right? And maybe it protects you a little bit in terms of some things like demerge or detention. You know, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. It depends upon how you frame the contracts. And so we did multi-year deals and they had bands up higher, lower bands to protect us against some, some, some market uh, fluctuations. And, you know, looked at over, not not on a monthly basis or a weekly basis, looked at over a longer period of time and, and reset. So, um, and we were successful. And so, I, I mean, you know, get away from the traditional uh, calendar cycle where you would buy. You know, Europe's January to December. Transpac is, is, is May to April. You know, you may have to look at, you know, doing a multi-year deal or something different and, and buy more maybe some end-to-end solutions from some carriers that are willing to do it. And, and, and honestly, I didn't say it earlier, but one of the carriers we looked at, we bought a guaranteed service. But you know what? We got it at a good price. We put a little bit of some protections in there, perhaps, um, you know, in terms of, but it was a two-way street. Are they performing? Are we performing? Either one of us doesn't perform. We, we have some, some protections. And um, so 
you know, somebody else that maybe watches this conversation may say, well, I'm going to do this or that, but if it's different, I encourage you to do it, you know? And that's where, Andrew, again, I talked about relationship earlier, got to be able to sit down, be transparent, be interested in your, your, your carrier, your partner's success as much as in, in your own. And, um, I'm not going to say that's going to work perfectly, but it's going to help you. And was there any reservations or you know issues that you guys might have been buying this multi-year deal at the top of the market? You know, we took a look at the risk. We ran the data and it was the right thing to do. Everybody's got to decide what their own risk is and, and, and what their appetite for, for risk is. But, you know, everywhere I've been working, all these startups, I mean, you know, we got work to do, you know, a company to build. Yeah, no doubt. And transportation's right now the thing that is holding up everybody uh, getting their stuff into the market. It's not demand. Consumer demand is there. Uh, it's getting the getting the stuff here. John, let's let's shift gears a little bit. We're coming up on our time. Let's talk about you were just um, kind of brought onto a pretty important committee, the National Shippers Advisory Committee. Can you tell me a little bit about it? So the FMC is is uh, formed a committee of twelve exporters, twelve importers. Within there, there's some freight forwarder exporters or importers. It's not just BCOs. If people are familiar with the term beneficial cargo owner, there's some NVOs in there as well. And you know, they basically want to hear from uh, the shippers in the in, in the international ocean community. Um, get maybe some access to uh, Congress um, or, or some guidance from us um, to. Um, uh, to what's impacting us, you, you know, and I think, you know, high level, everybody's upset about demurrage and detention. Everybody's upset about the lack of equipment, um, you know, the disruption that is completely going on in everybody's supply chains. You know, my my, my view came cha- has changed from being one of these big buyers and, and you, you anybody can go and, and see who the participants are. And there's some big BCOs, but now I'm bringing a different flavor. What about the little guy that can't get space? You know, I mean, I mentioned to you a year ago, we'll go back to last year's buying season. And I literally had ocean carriers tell me, uh, and they're not people that I'm contracted with, uh, that literally tell me, well, we're not signing any contracts with people that move less than 500 containers a year this year. And 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 then, you know, they, they also said, not necessarily the same ones, but another one said, I said, yeah, no 500. Those little guys have been tossed off the vessel. Yeah. And if an NVO comes to us, and says, I have a new named account on my contract this year that I want to add. They're like, we're not entertaining any new named accounts on our contracts. So what happens to that guy that wasn't a named account before that has 500 containers and used to buy direct from the carrier? They're completely unrepresented or underrepresented, you know, in, in the, the space. So now I'm, I'm very motivated to kind of make sure those guys have some sort of a voice. Um, and I'm reaching out to my network and inviting people, Hey, let's get together. I'd like to hear what your pain and suffering, your perspective is. Um, and, um, uh, uh, that's, I'm actively doing that right now because our first meeting is later on in November. No, I love that so much, John. That's definitely been a case throughout the last year. Look at, and even some of these small FBA sellers, think about them. You didn't see many deals on Amazon prime from the small guys because they just didn't have the inventory to do deals and they had generally strong demand. And we're probably going to see the same thing this holiday season, fewer deals because lack of inventory and, and generally pretty strong demand. But this has been awesome, John. Thanks so much for your time and insights today. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. No problem, everybody. That has been John Esborn, the Director of International Transportation at Perch, a company that you will be hearing a lot more of very shortly, an Amazon aggregator that has raised a bunch of money. They're going out, buying FBA brands, scaling them and operating them at scale. So check out Perch. You probably bought from one already. 
All right, everyone, that's been it for this discussion here at Ocean Wave. Stay tuned. We have so much more for you for the rest of the day.